Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. So I don't want to waste any more time. I'd like to um, introduce our first guest. I said that she has been on the show today in kind of a different capacity or wearing a different cloak or a different mask, or should we just say wearing a different hat? Sarah Bullen, Bullen, who's a a writing coach, she's a literary agent. She joined us with uh, Kate Emerson. um, And uh, Sarah was telling us about writing a novel. You know, everyone was going through so many different experiences when we first went into lockdown. A lot of people started to write. And Sarah and Kate, uh, for a few years before that, had been putting these incredible writing retreats together, going off to Greece. And then they put a book together, how to write a novel or, or write a book. I think it was in 100 days. <clears throat> it was extraordinary. But today, Sarah joins us, as I said, in a completely different way, because Sarah has just written her own story, a very, very personal story, her journey with her husband, um, who was diagnosed with a brain tumor, who passed. Um, And Sarah also coming so close to death um, during this. Wow, it's, it's quite an unbelievable story. And so she has written her words, her stories, her innermost feelings so beautifully in a book called Love and Above. A journey into shamanism, coma, and joy. So she's joining us today as a storyteller. Sarah, welcome. And, you know, it's so great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Nikki. Yes, and last time was in the middle of lockdown, I recall, and we were really talking about all these people who suddenly had time on their hands to actually sit and and write. So we're, we're moving into a busier world, but um, oh. still that is a, a deep call for many people. Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. And that's why I was so excited when your book arrived, because I thought, you know, I know that you write, um, you're a literary agent, you ghostwrite for many people, and to read your books and your words, besides with Kate, and that, you know, that great how to write the book, but hear your story, it was so compelling. And so I just want to start off by saying, Sarah, that I'll never forget Byron Katie. I love the work of Byron Katie. And she said that everyone is your creation. You are creating every person in your life. And it took a while for me to grasp this. And it was just so funny when I started to read your book, I thought it's, you know, I had one creation of Sarah um, when I first interviewed you. This is how I saw you. This was how I created you. And reading your book, all of a sudden, a completely different Sarah emerged. And that's what we do all the time, right? We meet people and we create ideas and stories without realizing um, who we think they are. And um, yeah, Mm. and you open yourself up in a way where people get to see a completely different Sarah, your very personal life, your very personal story. And so I just want to say thank you for that. I mean, you know, I've been on a journey um, reading your story, but yeah, a whole different Sarah emerged. So so to to reach that point, Sarah, where you're writing for other people, you're showing people how to write to get to the point when you say, you know what, I'm opening the doors and anyone can walk in and this is my story. Was it a journey to get there? And was, what, what's the process been like? Yeah. And, and, you know, the, uh, you've really hit the nail on the head because not only is the book about uh, the, the story we present of ourselves, but it also raises the question of, well, what happens when that story is over and how do you create a new story for your life? Yeah. Um, and that's the journey we go on. 
but you know for because what happened to my husband with the brain tumor with his sangoma shamanistic journey and me being pulled in and then my coma the whole way through this crazy wild four-year ride I had so many people saying, Sarah, write about it. You are an author. You're a journalist. Write the story. And I couldn't. I couldn't back then because I was still living it. Um, and then when I, you know, when I was in my own coma, three and a half week coma, and I came out and I survived and I lived and, and, and everything, the craziness that happened thereafter, people said, you've got to write now. You are an author. You know, well, Sarah, this is mad. You've got to write it. And still, Nikki, I, I couldn't write. I could write other people's books. I could write celebrity books. Um, I could tell other people's stories. Uh, but mm-hmm. my own story was was. I think it was too painful. It was too real. It was too, too sore. So what happened was I wrote the book 10 years after all of this happened. And it traverses an incredibly um, crazy decade in which I completely rewrote my life. <laughs> Sarah, I want to, you know, I want the audience to have an understanding of your story. Um, and I, I, I want to revisit what you've said about writing it 10 years later and what that would be like, you know, to revisit such a painful past and being the Sarah now going back then and writing that. But before we get there, because I really do want to, I really do want to explore that with you, just to put our audience in the picture. So your husband, your late husband, Llewellyn, was diagnosed with a brain tumor and he opted for, first of all, he had surgery, he had the tumor removed and he opted for the treatment that was recommended by the oncologist but at the same time he was on this journey to becoming some kind of sangoma working closely with sangomas if you can just yeah, just put us in the picture with that so at the age so he was I was 34 and he was 38 and he was already on a deep path um, we were quite new agey we explored stuff we were open-hearted we had a kind of a little bit of a hippie of friends around us, even though I was a magazine publisher, he was a very well-known film director and commercial director. And when the tumor struck, he, he, he didn't realize what it was initially. He thought it was this deeper work he'd been doing with a Sangoma, a Sangoma by the name of Colin Campbell, who's a Botswanan-born Sangoma. It wasn't that. Unfortunately, this special connection he felt that was with the ancestors, which was these oral um, feelings, these hearing things, these seeing things actually turned out to be pressure on his brain. And he did pursue. And of course, it was a huge shock. And in fact, the entire life that I'd known for the last 34 years was just ripped away from me. We had two young children. We had you know, it, what I would call a normal life. We had a, a house with a car and a swimming pool and we had friends and we had jobs and we were earning and spending and being fabulous. We were probably what we would call yuppies. And suddenly that entire existence was gone and we were just thrust in a world of medical diagnoses. But, and we took advantage and he took advantage of all of what science offered. He had brain surgery and he ended up doing long-term chemo and radiation. But at the very same time, Something else was calling him, and this path with a sangoma deepened. And as it deepened, as his partner, I started to be pulled into it as he was. 
and finding that outside of these hospital wards and sitting meetings with doctors, there was something far more deep and rich and soulful, a different modality of healing that was being offered in these other spaces and other worlds. It was really outside of what I understood you know, healing to be. Mm. Sarah, I'm going to press pause for a moment. Um, we've got to go to a quick ad break, but please stay, please stay with that. I'm so sorry to interrupt. We'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to the show. I have Sarah Bullen on the line who has just written a book, Love and Above, a journey into shamanism, coma and joy. This is Sarah's story. It's a story about her husband, Llewellyn, who um, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, um, their journey, their, her, sure, her coma, her near-death experience, and then finding love and joy on the other side of all of that heartbreak. And so Sarah's on the show today, just, wow, sharing this incredible story with us. I interrupted you mid-sentence, Sarah. You were talking about your husband with the treatment going, you know, very much the, the route with the chemotherapy and the radiotherapy, but also going, in, you know, with on the Sangoma side, which was, you spoke about a deepening your experience. If you could just expand uh, on that, the, the how, you know, what it, what it brought this other dimension to this journey. On a very practical level, it started to just completely alter our lives. In my garden, then lived in Hart Bay, and in my garden, a a prayer hut, an indumba was created with medicines and ritual cloths. We were having, you know, events where there's a scene in the book, which is quite hilarious, in which there's a genet being skinned in my garden, you know, as they're making sort of medicine pouches. And as a journalist, and I was a journalist and quite a well-published author at that point, you know, I was standing with the mind of a a journalist quite skeptical, asking, what is this? Why is this healing? Why does this work on yourself and the prayer and, and belief in something higher? How is that going to heal you? And on the other hand, you know, something deep within me was finding that this was just so rich and so exciting. We were going up to Botswana, he was going for vast periods of time, three months at a time, going through these men's initiation rites, learning medicines in the bush. So there's some very funny scenes because the book sounds like it's dark and and, and sad and and it's really not because it's actually wildly exciting and and quite fast paced. And there's a huge amount of humor and the scenes in which he's up in the bush, you know, finding a medicine that he's climbed up a mountain and, and found by divination. And I'm standing at the edge of a soccer field cheering my daughter on with all the other, you know, mommies and dads. So there was this absolute schism starting, starting in our marriage, which deepened over the four years in which he had the cancer. And Nikki, at the time and at the beginning of the book and as it progresses, I, I was angry, you know, I was, I was scared. I was a young mother. I was terrified. I was fear was the emotion. I was so deeply stuck in. I was, I was scared he was going to die. I was scared of what was happening. I was scared I was going to be alone. I was scared I couldn't support my family. And the, the, the fear is what was the overriding comfort place that I started to live in. I was mm. terrified of every MRI. And, and, the, and that was the, the place I was in. And the only place I found respite. I think from the fear was those moments that I flew up for a ceremony in the wild bush in Botswana and danced 
for the evening under the stars around a fire and sang and chanted and something was starting to enter my life which was unexpected I use the word wild rapture where you connect with something so deep and and big that's beyond you know what you are that you start to realize that you are not in control of your life and I think that was a what I was starting to realize that this life I thought I could control was out of my hands and as the book escalates as the you know the cancer came back unfortunately and after four years of this this journey it was there was an inevitability as the tumor returned but as it returns I'm trying to keep more and more control I'm I'm, I'm trying to you know control the house control the children control everything and I and and ultimately which readers will discover in the book, what happened was I lost all, all possible mm-hmm. control. And within I got, I simply got the flu. And within 24 hours, I was in Constantia Berg Medic Clinic. I was on life support and I was in a coma. Yeah. In which I was going to stay for the next three and a half weeks. Oh, Sarah. Yeah. What, and what a story, a quick break. And then let's, let's talk about that, that coma experience, which I've got to say you write so in, exquisitely in the book, you know, that, that everything that you experienced. So a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi FM 101.9 megahertz of life. If you've just tuned in, welcome. Great to have you. This, of course, is the DL Link Show. And uh, I have a wonderful guest on the show today, Sarah Bullen, who is a writing coach. She's a literary agent, and she's just written Love and Above, a journey into shamanism, coma, and joy. And Sarah, just before the break, you spoke about this control, you know, what, what control did you have with your husband and the cancer returning and you saying you want to control everything, your children, your house, and then ultimately the control was taken away from you when you got flu and you landed up within 24 hours on life support. And for three and a half weeks, you were in a coma and you write so clearly and succinctly about this experience. And I was you know, I, I I was so taken aback because I, I'm so curious about a coma experience. And here you were able to put in words, sometimes incredibly enlightening experience and sometimes incredibly frightening experience. Tell us about this coma and, and how it was that it was so clear, um, you know, when you recalled it uh, uh, years later. Absolutely. So, so what I, the first thing to say is I had no idea I was in a coma from the second I was wheeled into that ICU ward, you know, there there was no conscious uh, recollection of what was happening in that body, in that bed. Yeah. I was already in a state where I, and I'm going to call, I'm going to use words that people find very odd. I'd already left the body. So my soul had already kind of pulled away. So the beginning of the coma experience was very nightmarish where I was, I was in the hospital, literally in a floating form. And, but because I was in a coma for so long, what happened was I, I started to distance myself more and more from that person for lying, fighting for her life on the bed. In fact, I didn't even really know it was me. So the second I, I left the human form, I, I was just a floating, I was a nobody. I was no name, no place, no children, no attachments, no wife. I wasn't a wife. I wasn't a mother. I was just a soul. 
And I started over the time to move further and further away from the physical world initially. And, and this is a huge portion of my book. And the reason I remember it so clearly was very soon after I came out of the coma, I recorded it all. I, I kind of thought, well, this is quite something. And I first voice noted um, all of it. I couldn't talk for a long time because I had a hole in my throat from a tracheotomy. But I whispered it and, and recorded everything. So it was so crystal clear to me. And so that's the clarity of, of why I remember everything. Mm. Um, just, just starting to move further and further. And then I'm moving out of what I would call this recognizable world and into the world of spirits, different spirit worlds. I'm going to use that phrasing. Other yeah. people have called it heaven. Other people have called it other things. But I think, Lisa, um, Nikki, that because my frame of reference at the time was shamanism, you know, had I been in a, a different church, had I been in a different religion, I may have, you know, interpreted it in a different way. But for me, it was a spirit world, a world of beings that were beautiful and um, accepting. And that's where I started to travel as I started to move further and further, letting go of the worldly attachments. And at the same time, unfortunately, in the real body, my, my health was deteriorating. My, you know, my organs were failing. Um, we had this horrendous situation, which I only found out about weeks later when I finally came back to, you know, my life was that, you know, I was in one hospital in a coma dying and my husband was 10 kilometers down the road at his mother's house, slipping in and out of his own coma and dying. So this absolutely crazy, un unpredictably strange thing was, was happening to us as a family. And yet through it all, um, because I don't want to give too much away because I, I really want the listeners to read this extraordinary story for themselves. Yet through it all, because I mean, you know, I felt the fear when I was reading it and even hearing, you know, what you're saying with the great, there were some wonderful experiences and some scary experiences. You, someone came to you, you know, as you said, from your, from the way you experienced it, there was this figure, this man who came to you, did you call him the tree man or whatever, but who gave you a very profound message. And, and that message really impacted your tra trajectory thereafter. Maybe you can just share that. You know, as you said, in this coma, I was fighting, I was angry, I was desperate, I was terrified, yeah. I was trying to get back to my body. And only many weeks later did I did I remember or did I piece together the, that person. So in the very last phase of the coma, to get back to my body, I had a, a what I'm going to people would may call it an angel. I called it a spirit guide. It was a it was a being who came to my bed and helped me. And before he left me, when I was really kind of fighting back and I was coming in and out of consciousness finally. He bent down and kissed me on my forehead and he gave me what I call a blessing and a message. And what he said to me was, it was so unexpected. It was so unwelcome in that space. It was so, I felt trivial. And he said three words to me. And those words were, have more fun. And I remember thinking, that is ridiculous. You know, that, that is not the message I want to come back from, you know, world, otherworldly travels. What is fun? This isn't fun. Life's not fun. It's fearful. I'm in terror. I'm struggling. Life's a struggle. But over the next few months, after my husband passed, and he passed away three days after I woke up from my coma, these words started to really resonate with me because 
fun was such an energy I hadn't embraced for so long. I'd been in, in other places. I'd been in other spaces. And, and, and fun started to become the word that I started to seek very actively. And fun and, you know, I started to work with, well, what is fear and what is, what is, what is above fear, which is where the title of the book comes from, because what's yeah. above fear are higher quality emotions. And I wasn't yet accessing them. And, and, and I started to move towards us. I had nearly died. My husband had died. What was there left to be scared of? Where, mm. what, where was the anxiety? Why was I still terrified at night when I woke up? And I thought, no. And I started to move very, very consciously into cultivating gratitude, bliss, delight, grace, love. And that movement was really where the book starts to move to in the last third of the book, where I, I actively not just think it, I choose it. I choose it wildly and deliberately. And I do things that probably people shouldn't do against the advice of auditors and what everybody told me told me to do which was you know stay calm Sarah keep your children in school stay on the medication um you know keep your kids at trauma counselors and I decided ultimately to do none of that I decided to pull my children out of school at age seven and nine and I uprooted the three of us and we moved to a Greek island an island of delight and dance and meditation and joy where we lived for the next four years. And in what I call the quest for, for love and above, the quest for joy, the quest for bringing and ushering into my life the positivity. And everybody says, Sarah, you know, you must have been so, the children must have been so traumatized. You must have really battled. And the truth is, Nikki, I call it post-traumatic bliss. Where sure. after that trauma, I, I just I just wanted to grab life with both hands. Um, I didn't leave any room for fear or anxiety. I'm not saying they don't they don't arrive in my lap still, but I make very conscious choices to to grasp adventure. Oh, Sarah, what a, what a magnificent magnificent story to. As you say, you know, the message, have more fun to go above the fear, uh, post-traumatic bliss. I mean, these are such powerful messages and especially considering the show that we have, the journey, the journeys that people walk, um, where they are now and just that glimpse, you know, that bright light. There, there's the glimpse. Choose it. Go for it. The bliss, the, the finding that, that that incredible part of life that's there. And I just love that, Sarah. So I said to you, I would revisit this question because you said it took 10 years to write the book because at the time it was just too hard. So 10 years later and your children are older and you've been through this and now you write the book, writing it you know, from a different perspective, uh, was it a different Sarah that wrote the book? How could you then yeah. revisit that that painful time? Yeah, it was a different Sarah. And, I, and I'm so grateful that in all the time, and I was offered a publishing, two publishing contracts over the time to write the story, because it was a near-death experience. I spoke in lots of places over the world about my near-death experience. And then in lockdown, when my a publisher said, we want the book finally, I sat and I wrote it. And when I tell you, it was the most extraordinary experience because I, I wrote it in two months. And that's because I am a professional author. I write books yeah. for a living for celebrities. So, of course, I can do this in a different way to other people. But two days after I started writing, I woke up and the whole right side of my body was numb from my legs to my arms. And 
I, of course, you know, the brain goes to catastrophic thinking. I thought, well, there we go. I've now got a brain tumor mm. <laughs> as well. But it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was it was revisiting what actually was a deep trauma and that, that it's held in the body. Yeah. And I started to re-experience these things. I was a basket case. And it's, it was very good for me because I work with authors all over the world telling their own stories. They, can, they don't have to be traumatic stories, but they relive them. And I was there walking the talk, really living you know and I speak to my authors and I say you know just look at it like an old friend from the past yes that happened but you're looking back on it and of course all my own advice went out the window as I was battling dragging limping along dragging my leg thinking Sarah what's going on here so so pain and 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 life and trauma is is, is so visceral and real but in that process of allowing it to come out in a different way, and that the written word is a very powerful way of handling your past, it just shifted everything. I felt when I finished that book, like I had put a full stop on the last decade, and I'd brought such beautiful closure to a, a time of my life. And, and I could never have written it before because I was, you know, when you're in an experience, you don't have the, any distance to assess you, you're stuck in you're stuck in terror or fear or you just you're on the ride you're on the ride mm -hmm. of life and it's often with hindsight that we look back and we go that's why all of that had to happen it had to happen like that yeah and isn't that what you isn't that what Llewellyn always used to say to you it's happening exactly as it should absolutely absolutely yeah. and you get so to see that looking back as you say looking um, back yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sarah, I just wanted to ask you just very quickly, because, I mean, you've written a number of books. And as you say, you ghostwrite for celebrities. And so you know what it's like for people to critique your, your writing. But this is deeply, deeply personal. Are you staying away from um, listening to what people have to say? Is it important to you? I'm not at all. I'm not at all. I'm totally engaging with it. I think what has been, it, it, it's more personal than you think. So as though I pack, this is a fast paced, really fast moving book. Yeah. I think what Nikki, the most interesting thing is the things that have hit me the hardest is at the very end of the book, I also tell the reader that four years after my husband died of cancer, I myself got breast cancer. And a lot of the questions, which was six years ago. So a lot of the questions which people have come to me around have been about my own journey with cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so much more personal, so much more personal. And of course, in my book and in my life, there's some big words, you know, cancer and coma and death. And, you know, they're words that I use very lightly now, but only because they, they, they've been things I've lived. Um, and, but for many people reading the book, certainly you've had somebody live with cancer or, 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 or have cancer themselves because this is just such a common human experience now. You know, it's opening many doors, I think, for people to look at things in a little bit of a different way. Yeah. Well, incredible. As I said to you, Sarah, I mean, you know, when I first interviewed you, there, there we were talking about how to write a book and then and then your, sto your story landed um, next to my bed and I've gone through this with you all of these journeys and you know what what a beautiful story and, and as I, I said hugely hugely inspiring and I really do think um, that that people need to you know read the book and, and get those incredible messages so thanks Sarah thanks for joining us thanks for writing the book thanks for thanks for it all it's it's really been great having you on the show
Thank you.